everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Please welcome you joining and welcoming the District Attorney of Los Angeles County, who's going to be serving another term. Gracias. Gracias. Come on, Susan. Yeah. You, you know, I am so honored to be in the House of Labor. I can't tell you how emotional I feel at this moment and what it means to me. And you heard from Tony, Denise, Susan, Tina, David, Arnulfo. You know, these are people that I go to for advice. These are people that I often seek their knowledge. These people represent so many others in our community that I work with to make sure that our justice system really is written with a capital J. Victor, I, I can't thank you enough, not only for being here today, but for your years of work representing people like my parents. You know, when we immigrated to L.A. in the late 1960s, my mother was working for below minimum wage in a place where the chemicals that she was being exposed to were making her sick every day. And yes, she was grateful because she had a job and she didn't even understand that she was being exploited and she had rights that were being violated every day. And I often tell people that I lie about my age in order to get a job to help the family and quite frankly, unknowingly at the moment when I was applying for the job, it was a union job. It was working for a supermarket and we were represented by Local 770. And when I got my first paycheck for working a little over 20 hours a week, I went to give it to my mother and she started crying and said, you're making more money than I am. And I work about 50 hours a week. And that has stayed with me forever. 
for many reasons. Number one, it obviously offered a, a important resource that my family needed at the time. But more importantly, it really made it very clear to me the value of labor, the value of union, the value of representation. And how, when that is not there, workers get exploited without any consequences. And you know, for me, the symbolism today of having both our Muslim brothers and Democrats for Israel here today touches deeply. And it touches deeply because too many people want to divide us. We know there's a horrible tragedy that is occurring today in the Middle East. We know that there were women and children in Israel that were murdered. And the word is simply murdered. There is no other explanation for it. And we know that tragedy is being visited upon so many families. And this morning I was at a synagogue and people were talking about how to bring people together. And this campaign is about bringing people together. Yes. Yes. This is about humanity. Because you cannot have safety in a community if you're not looking at it through the lens of humanity first. There is no justice if we don't respect one another. That's right. There can be no justice if we don't treat each other humanely. There can be no justice if we have large segments of our community that feel that the system is not there for them. Three years ago, as our new full said, I was in this and I call this a holy ground because it really is. House of labor is a place where good things for all of us occur. And I talked about why I was running. And then I talked to so many others here. Susan said, I went to her, and it's true. I went and talked to Susan. I said, you know, Susan, unless I have the support of the community, I will not run for office. Because this is really not about me. This is really about a community movement. This is really about taking us to a different place. This is really about looking at the 21st century, not with a rear view mirror, but looking forward. Yeah. Yeah. But never forgetting the past. Yes. Right. And I made promises that I often talk to people that were my contract with you. It was said earlier that those promises actually came from you and many of you that are not here today. You know, every single policy that we implemented was not the product of my thinking alone. In fact, it was the product of our community. It was a collective work of people in our community. It was a collective work of people in the legal system, both as attorneys 
and as those that were being impacted and impacted as victims as well as sometimes as those that were accused of harming others And those were the policies that we implemented on day one. Yes. And I say we because it was we. And it will continue to be we and ours. Yes. There is no I in community. It is all of us. And the day that I was sworn in, I walk away from the ceremony and somebody called me and says, you know there are some people at the registrar's office seeking to start a recall <laughs> and we have to tell them you gotta give them at least 90 days. <laughs> in 90 days and one hour there was the first recall and then there was a the second one. And you know, we beat those recalls because the community yeah. beat those recalls. And that is why we're going to win. Yeah. We're going to win because this is not about one person. I'm only simply a vehicle to express the needs that have been so unanswered for so many years. And you know, there are people that go around and say, well, you know, you have gone too fast, too far. And I ask, would you like to bring back the death penalty? No. And they say no. And by the way, the death penalty was voted down in this county. I know that it, you know, it got support in other parts of the state, but it actually was voted down here. And they said no. Okay, so I said, so how many more people should we put on death row so that this doesn't appear to be too fast? And they said, well, I don't think you should put anybody. Okay, so then that wasn't too fast, right? So then I ask, should we put 15, 16, 17-year-olds in adult prison? No. And they said, no. I said, why not? Because it doesn't work, right? Okay. So how many more kids should we send to adult prison so that it doesn't look like I'm going too fast? And you know, the answer is really none, right? And then we looked at our police. And by the way, the concept that I do not care for police is so foreign to me that I can't even comprehend. I was a police officer for over 30 years. LAPD is in my blood, even though I work in two other agencies thereafter as chief of police. But I also recognize that the credibility of policing and in fact the welfare of the men and women in uniform depends on the trust of all of our communities. Not right. some. Right. And when all of our communities do not feel that the police is there for them, it creates a hazardous condition for police officers to do their work. It impacts all of our safety. And the system loses credibility. So I said, how many bad acts by police officers should I look the other way before I'm not going too fast? And the answer was none, right? 
So, okay, so I guess I'm not going too fast there. And you know, I could stand here and continue to tell you about other things, but we won't be here all day. And you're going to hear from people that say, well, you know, we're sort of the new and improved George Gascon. Or you'll have some way to the right that say, we got to go back to the past. That's right. We're not doing that. But you know what? We are here because of you. And we will be here because of you after November of 2024. Yeah. This is what our country needs. And interestingly enough, when I was sworn in, we began to be in the middle of the worst pandemic that generations have seen. And in those very difficult times, we saw increases in crime around the country. Interestingly enough, per capita, we were lower than some of those counties around us that continue to incarcerate kids involved, continue to send people to death row, continue not to think about the impact of their work and the rest of us. But the reforms were blamed for the increases here. Now, we're seeing crime going down at a very rapid rate and hopefully soon approaching pre-pandemic times. And some people say, well, we don't believe those numbers. And I said, but those are the numbers of the LAPD and the LA Sheriff Department. You believed those numbers two years ago, why don't you believe them today? Because we don't make the numbers, right? right? But you know what it really tells us? is that we can have reform and safety. Yeah. Yeah. Because reform and community safety are not antagonistic to one another. In fact, they must travel on the same highway in the same direction. And what we're doing here in LA County today is impacting not only our county, is impacting our state, and it's impacting so many other parts of our nation. And you know, I find it interesting when Republicans like Ron DeSantis and his fellow presidential run goes out on TV and says, while well, he's in LA, he talks about how crime is out of proportion here and how burglars are not being prosecuted and you know, organized retail theft because of George Gascon. And Joseph Iniguez from my office starts to Google organized retail theft in Florida. And the first thing that pops up is videos of people storming stores in Miami and other parts of Florida. And then we went to Houston and we looked at some other southern cities and guess what? It's a national problem. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's a national problem, right? And yet Republicans love to look at LA or San Francisco without looking at their own backyard. And you know why? Because it doesn't fit their narratives. Right. Yeah, right. But here's what we need to make sure that we do as Democrats too. 
we need to make sure that we do not embrace the narrative that the Republicans have been using for the last 40 years. That's right. By the way, you can go back to Nixon. And we were talking about the war on drugs and the war on crime. And it's the same thing and it cycles over and over and over again. Even though today, as a nation, we have historically some of the lowest numbers of crime that we've ever had. That's right. That's not to say, by the way, that we are okay. We are not okay. We are suffering because of a gun violence epidemic. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. We are suffering because of mental health epidemic. That's right. We are suffering because so many mem members of our community are addicted to drugs that often originated being pushed by big pharma yeah. and by big businesses. And I ask you, because we talk often about crimes, and you heard labor brothers and sisters, but we don't talk about one of the biggest crimes in our history. And it's the theft of wages, the theft of labor. Come on. Billions of dollars are stolen from workers each and every year, which impacts all of us, by the way, because when you steal from workers, you're stealing from the tax base of our community. You're stealing from families. You're taking food away from babies. You're often precluding people from having a roof over their heads. And one of the things that we did in our administration is we said, you know, we're going to go aggressively against people that harm others. But that includes those that harm our workers. That's right. And we will continue to do so. And we also look at cases that have been sitting in our office for years, impacting the environment, the water, the air that our kids are exposed to. In places like Jordan High School, where you had a metal recycler that has been operating for decades, poisoning the water, poisoning the atmosphere around these kids. But you know what? Because they were black and brown kids, our office never attended to it. That's right. And not only did we decide that we were going to go after Allied Metal, but we said we will go personally after the principals. Because if you only go after the corporation, they look at it as a cost of doing business. And yet you don't hear the outrage about these crimes. You don't hear the outrage about so many workers in our community that do not have health care. So many workers in our community that are unable to pay for housing, even though they're working sometimes one or two jobs. And they're having to sleep in cars. And, you know, sometimes you have 10 people in a one-bedroom apartment because they cannot afford the rent. And you know, the district attorney doesn't control housing. And the district attorney doesn't control health care. But the district attorney can actually cause more homelessness. Yep. 
by sending somebody to jail for driving without a driver's license, for instance, which we did for years. Yep. <coughs> or by prosecuting crimes that are purely crimes out of poverty and not realizing that the down road impact of that is somebody not being able to show up for work, not being able to pay the rent, and be homeless, houseless. So there are certain things that district attorneys can do proactively. We can ensure that justice is adhered to. We can be measured about the work that we do. But there are all other things that we should be thinking about. And it's not causing any harm. You know, often when I swore new deputy district attorneys, I said, I wish if we also, you know, yes, we should, you know, swear allegiance to the flag and the constitution, all that is wonderful. But you know, when you're a medical doctor, you take a Hippocratic oath, right? What is part of the oath tells you? Not causing harm. Do no harm, right? And I wish if lawyers and police officers also had to take an oath to say, do no harm. Amen. Amen. So I'm here to tell you I stand strong because of you. I'm here to tell you that the things that I said that I would do, I did, and will continue to do it no matter what the opposition is. Because we are on the right side of history. Yes. We are on the right side of history. And I want to leave you with a couple of things to think about for a moment. You know, at the turn of the last century, there were people fighting in labor to have a 40-hour work week. And that was a radical idea back then. <laughs> and there were people that said, you know, our economy could never survive a 40-hour work week. Today, even the most conservative workers would tell you that, you know, 40-hour work week is a good thing, mm -hmm. right? In the 1930s, the idea of having Social Security and Medicare were radical ideas. In fact, they were called communist ideas by the Republican Party. But I find it very interesting. Sometimes some of those very conservative folks in our senior communities, if you tell them you're going to take their Social Security away from them, we're going to demonstrate. They would be out there, right? And today some people say that Health care and housing as a human right, That's right. Mm -hmm. are yeah. a radical idea. But there will be a day when there will not be. And criminal justice reform and the things that we're doing today in the future will be looked upon as the things that are taken for granted. But none of this can happen without without your help. And all of us working together. So I'm deeply grateful for you, deeply grateful for your support. I am honored by it. And all I can tell you is that I'm gonna fight like hell to make sure that I'll be standing here That's with right. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.
justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.